couple of things. Trevor was up here and he said, just connect. I like that. Uh, you know, there are great connections made in this room when we sit down and, and connect with the Lord. That's a great connection, yeah? All right. And there's great, there's great people connections in a, in a room like this as well. And uh, that's great. It might be the start, but to really develop our relationships and that connectivity uh, and become the body of Christ, a connected body of Christ that I think God um, calls us to be and has designed us to be. He's the head. We're many different members making up the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We each need to make that effort. And uh, what we see, Trevor's like, hey, I haven't found another way this week. Um, but it's, it's really doing life together. It's living life together. It's living out ministry together. And everything we do, we pray through, we, uh, all the various ministries. As an exercise, recently I wrote down, I just by memory, I said, I'm going to write down on my prayer list every ministry of this church. It took me about three days to kind of just remember off the top of my head. I could have went to the website and whatnot. But I thought, what's What's in my heart? What do I know? What is God doing? And I thought about faces. I thought about people. I'm like, oh, yeah, that ministry too. And I could tell you that all of those people involved in that ministry are getting further connected through ministry. It's just what happens. You want your faith to grow? <laughs> Serve others. Let the Lord use your gifts. Your faith will grow in leaps and bounds. Your relationships that you need, that you designed to be and you need, will absolutely grow. And so everything we're doing, so I'm like, hey, let's go on the footsteps of Paul trip. Today, a bunch of married couples are getting away, and, and it's our marriage ministry. It's, all of this is with the purpose of, like, connecting. And we want people to, to invest in others, invest in this place if God's got, called you here. And, and there's so many gifted people. Did you see all the gifts being used behind me just now? Didn't that, didn't that bless you? It, now, what if all of those people just never heard the call or never responded to the call? But I tell you right now, they're all hanging out. I was watching them. They're all smiling when they leave. They're going to all go over. There's a brunch waiting for them. So don't join the orchestra to get the brunch. But, you know, they're, they're going to be hanging out. They're going to be doing what the body of Christ does. And find your place. Let the Lord lead you to your place. That's why we have the resource table out, out front, the resource center, the welcoming table. All of that was with is with you in mind, with us in mind, to connect us as the body of Christ. There's so many other options. I know that. There's so many other voices and podcasts and people pulling us one way or another way. But what is God saying to you? Are you here because he's called you here? Well, what's the purpose? Maybe it's a season to sit and be filled and be fed. Or maybe it's a season where he's like, I've been filling you and feeding you as you've been sitting. And it's time now where I want to use you. And that could be part of our purpose even this morning, as you look, and you're like, look at all the gifts being used uh, in a place like this. Um, i got to get to my Bible study, but uh, i got a lot to get through. But there is a salt and light table out uh, in the foyer. They would love to talk to you about all the bills that are before our state right now that are, we did not want one of them to pass. And I don't have time to get into all of that. It's ungodly. It's, it's opposing God. It's opposing our values, our freedoms. Uh, the, the, the freedom of our, of our parenting, all of this is at stake right now. So I would just encourage you to go back there. They'll give you all the information about the Salt and Light Ministry, being part of that, getting behind that, and being informed through that as well. So Revelation chapter 11, let's turn our Bibles over to that passage. 
It was my goal to teach a chapter a week through the book of Revelation. Some of you go slower than I do, so I have to slow down and keep up with your attentiveness. That's a joke. You guys gonna laugh at me today or with me? You gonna laugh? You're laughable. Do we know all, we all need to go outside and get some more coffee? What are we gonna do? This is our third study in the chapter uh, in chapter 11, and and just to recap a bit, we are in the middle period of the tribulation period. That is the period that is yet to come on earth, where God will be pouring out His wrath upon the Christ rejecting, who have missed. The rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is chapters 4 and 5. We don't see the church again until chapter 19. Chapter 6 through 19, the first part, we have what we see here is the tribulation period, seven-year period. And in the midst of that, there's a lot of things that are going on. In chapter 1, John was initially there in verses 1 and 2, just told to go out and measure the temple. We noted in great detail that there is no temple on the Temple Mount today to measure. That was destroyed in 70 A.D. by the Romans. But there will be, in the middle of the tribulation period, sometime in the middle or sometime in the tribulation period, there will be a temple that will be built. And I, I really dug into the facts on that two weeks ago, I believe it was, because it's, it's telling. It's helping us understand how close we are in this timetable, God's timetable reflecting upon the end of the age. And so there will be a temple to measure. There will be a temple for the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 to walk into and say that he is God. There will be that temple that will allow the Jews to once again practice daily sacrifices within that temple. They haven't done that since 70 AD. There will be that temple in order for all of that to happen during the tribulation period. What God says he will do. Amen. Amen. Yeah. What God says he will do. What else did we see in that, that chapter, in the first part? We saw him raise up a couple of witnesses. These witnesses, of course, were real people with a real mission of God. God will give them power for three and a half years to do supernatural things and to proclaim, to witness, to call people to, to turn to God, to repent, to put their faith in Jesus Christ. And then they're going to be hated by the world. This is all going to happen. We're on, we're on Jerusalem soil as we're in chapter 11. They will be opposed by the Antichrist himself. So we saw mention of the Antichrist there. The beast there will, will oppose them and will end up killing them. And their bodies will lay in the streets for three days. And, 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 and the whole world will be watching. We talked about that. And and, and God will breathe life back into those two witnesses. And, and, and they, will, they will stand up. The whole world will see this. And, and then God will whisk them away to heaven as the whole world uh, is watching. We talked about that um, last week. And we noted that there is never a period of time, even when the church is not on the earth because it's been raptured, where God does not have a witness. God will be witnessed. Amen. That chapter really, as it, that part of the chapter ended with a great earthquake and several thousand people there were killed. But it also says that there were, there were, there were those that great fear fell on them. They, they began to fear God. And we said, we're not sure exactly what that 
relates to? Does it mean people were giving their heart over to Christ? We're not exactly sure, but God uses these events and he unfolds these events in such a way where people will know, they'll recognize that God is in this. And they'll, they'll recognize God and many will give their life to God during the tribulation period. So we kind of left off in verse 14 where it says, Behold, or the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming. So in chapter 8, that chapter ended with um, an angel flying around heaven with this warning. It was in between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And the woe, woe, woe is like it's getting worse, worse, worse. There's three trumpet judgments, you know, at that point remaining. Um, the first four, you know, dealt with the usage of natural things, bringing all kinds of judgment on the earth through fire and hail and, 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 and a third of the oceans being tainted in fresh water and a third of the vegetation burning up and, and all of that. And a third of the, the light body, uh, just light in the heavens, the moon, the stars, the sun, was affected by all of that. Uh, that those first woes. And so, just kind of moving through here, the third woe will be revealed after the seventh trumpet sounds, as we'll see here in verse 15, and incorporated within the third woe, or the final woe, and the seventh angel blowing that seventh trumpet, the most extreme judgments are going to occur. We'll get to that in chapter 16 where the bowl judgments will begin to um, unfold upon the earth. And so we pick up in verse 15, and it says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give you thanks. O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, behold, you have taken your great power and reigned. Don't miss that. The nations were angry and your wrath has come in the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, when the seventh trumpet sounds, it's, it's a rather significant milestone in the book of Revelation. It's kind of signaling the consummation of God's plan for the entire world. It's coming to a head, a plan that involves him finishing up his judgment on sin, a plan that involves the, 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 the coming of his son and bringing in the kingdom of God, where he will rule and reign for a thousand years. And all of this will be covered from this point, chapter 11, verse 15, all the way through chapter 19, really where the, the events are going to be playing out in the latter part of the, uh, they are events that play out in the latter part of the, the tribulation period. So, loud voices from heaven announce the judgment. I like this. The kingdoms of this world have become, Greek, are becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. This is some long-awaited 
judgment. The kingdoms of this world, which are ruled presently by the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, have a time limit on them. They are now seen, the nations of the world that are ruled by the prince of the power of the air, Satan himself, are seen here as being restored to the rightful owner, which is Jesus Christ. And you and I, who will rule and reign with him, by the way, where he will reign forever and ever. And in order for that to happen, for him to come and establish his kingdom, in order for that change to come, the kingdom of darkness, sin, and wickedness, must be judged. And that's what's happening during the tribulation period. This has been God's plan since Genesis chapter 3 when God, or when Adam and Eve forfeited the earth to Satan in the fall. God's plan of redeeming the world back to its rightful owner and its rightful state involved the sending of his son. His son is the redeemer. He redeems human beings. But the world itself will be redeemed. It will be restored back to what God intended it to be. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, when Jesus began his ministry, we know the account that he was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In the devil's third effort at attempting Jesus, he took him up on an exceedingly high mountain in verses 8 and 9 and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world, all of their glory. And he said, all of these, Satan said this to Jesus, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He was saying to Jesus, that Jesus does not refute this, all of the kingdoms presently right now of the world in its fallen state before he will come back, second coming and establish his kingdom, he's like, they're mine. I am the prince of the power of the air. He knew that the world was forfeited in Genesis chapter 3 in the fall. And he was talking with that conviction. And Jesus, by virtue of not refuting that, identifies that. But Satan was also suggesting that the cross wasn't necessary. The Father's plan wasn't necessary. The, the plan that we're talking about in the end of the age wasn't necessary. All Jesus had to do was bow down and worship the devil. But Jesus knew better, of course. He said in verse 10, Away with you, Satan, for it is written. And he always quoted scripture, With each temptation you shall worship the Lord God, and him only you shall serve. Jesus had to come to redeem the world back to God. But the price of redemption was his Precious blood. This is what we saw in chapter 5 where John was weeping because he saw the title deed to the earth being held in the hand of the Father. And, and, and he, knew, he knew, he knew what that meant, that it was not in the, the, the rightful hand, which is the Son. The one that pays the price owns the merchandise. And, and John would have been weeping over all of the effects of the fall. A, a title deed is a representation of a piece of property. It was a picture of the, the earth. And John was weeping because he knew, he looked around like we would look around. And we weep as well as we look at the, the earth when it's under the influence and the power, if you will, of, of, of Satan. who's was influencing people to do his will. 
and the effects on the planet itself because of the curse. Revelation 5.5 lists a bunch of things, but it lists Jesus' qualifications. Does John, here's an elder, go, hold on, there is someone that's qualified. And uh, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse, has prevailed, speaking of the cross, to open the scroll and to loose its seal. That whole lion of the tribe of Judah comes out of Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. We always read that around you know, Palm Sunday-ish, whatnot. But behold, your king is coming to you. Remember, just and, and, and empowered with salvation, humble and mounted on, on a donkey. And 500 years after that prophecy, Jesus comes into Jerusalem, not just to ride a donkey, but to be crucified, to shed his blood, to redeem you and I, and to redeem the world. So the world is currently ruled by the prince of the power of the air, Satan. And it's obvious as we look around. But Jesus shed his blood. Amen? And this involves redeeming us and redeeming the world as well, which is the world being restored to its rightful owner. The process has begun from the cross forward. Jesus, as John sees here in chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdoms of this world have become are becoming, as we said in the Greek, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. So this is a declaration of events that are still to come. Jesus won't take control until chapter 19, verse 11, but right here, from the heavenly standpoint, it's a done deal. And Satan is not going to give up without a fight. Just like we saw in previous chapters, God will allow him to over run the world with hordes of demons. We'll see the false prophet. We'll see the Antichrist. All of that in the future. But his doomed efforts will not keep the true king from coming and setting up his kingdom and restoring the world to its rightful place. The prayers of the saints down through the ages will finally be answered. Remember that Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, 9 and 10. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There are some 7,000 known languages on the planet, identifiable languages on the planet today. 7,000. How many people repeat this prayer every day? How many people in how many different languages right now are praying this prayer? Think about that. And one day, that, that list, however many people, however many languages, however, how many continents, representing how many decades and how many centuries, centuries, that prayer, that specific prayer will be answered. God hears everyone, and he will answer everyone. That just moves me. God's purposes will be accomplished on earth as it is in, in heaven. So verse 16 the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their face, faces and worshipped God. Now, we, we saw these 24 elders and, and talked in great detail about who they might be. We landed on, we're not quite sure who they, who they are, but in chapter 4, they were sitting on thrones clothed with white robes, gold crowns on their head. Later in the chapter, they're falling before God. They're worshipping him who lives forever and ever while they're casting their crowns before the Lord. 
Chapter 5, we see him doing the same thing at the end of the chapter. And again, we, we don't know who they are. A lot of people, maybe a, a lot of you, see them as representing the church in heaven, a picture of the church in heaven, or representatives of the church in heaven. We're not sure. But again, if they, they did represent or do represent the church in heaven, it's another picture in the book of Revelation of the church in heaven beginning at chapter 4, before the tribulation period begins. They're already there. In chapter 11, they're on their faces, worshiping God, following the announcement of the earth being placed back into the rightful hands of Jesus, the announcement of him coming to rule and reign on the earth. It invokes worship, worship towards the conquering king and the kingdom that he is about to establish one day. The kingdom of darkness will be overrun. It will be conquered. He will take the reins of government as he establishes his kingdom on earth. So these 24 elders, it's just a fascinating study. In chapter 4, they're praising Jesus as creator. In chapter 5, they're praising him as redeemer, singing the song of redemption. And here in chapter 11, they're praising him as king and as judge. And let's look at their worship. What are they saying? I was in the back and I was like, what are we saying right now in the room? I love the orchestra. It invokes worship. It gets me to surrender a little bit more. I, I love watching gifts operate in the room and all that. But I was just watching different people respond. I, I actually went into the back so I could just take in what God was doing in our midst. And I wasn't watching you as much as watching you respond to God. Watch God work. And then I was taken to the words, what are we saying when we worship God? This is heaven. We're going to be there. What are we saying? What are we recognizing as we look at God? How do you view God right now when you worship him? Is he limited in any way? Is your doctrine, your, your, your view of God, does it, does it limit you in any way as you worship him? Because you just have maybe a doubt in your heart as it relates to the character of God. The, 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 just who is he? But here, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. They, they recognize him and his omnipotence. There is nothing outside your ability. I get to, I, I, we all come to places and times in our life where we get so discouraged we forget that about God. Give me an amen. amen. Like, I agree with you, Lance. We've all done that, and we can do that. Something just rings our bell. It's such, what? And we just question, like, God, do you know this? God, do you see this? Is this beyond your reach? Is this beyond your ability? And we challenge, then, the nature of God when we do that. In heaven, we're going to get it right. <laughs> amen? I'm not going to be like second-guessing God. I'm like, oh, you are all-powerful. Everything you said you would do, you have done. They're recognizing nothing is outside his ability to accomplish. And no one can exercise power over him. And then when we look at what they're recognizing, they are seeing it. Wow, Satan will be defeated defeated. Wow, 
Sin will be conquered. Wickedness and evil and unrighteousness. And he's the one who does it. He's the one who is and who was and who is to come. They're recognizing the fact that he is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has always been exactly the same. He will always be the same and exist forever. Because you have taken your great power and reigned. They, they recognize God's ability to take back the earth and to establish his son as ruler and reigner over all. Oh, 18, the nations were angry and your wrath has come and, and the time of the dead that they should be judged. They recognize the response of the Christ rejecting in the world when Jesus comes back at his second coming to set up his kingdom. The nations are angry. <laughs> I'm not happy about you. And that you should reward your servants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. They recognize the grace of God while there is judgment from God. They recognize God's plan also involves rewarding all who fear God, all who put their faith in him and his plan of redemption. Both Old Testament saints and New Testament saints, prominent faithful leaders, as well as the faithful unknown servants, the small and great. Beautiful hymn. Praising and anticipating the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of his rule on the earth. So three specific things for you note takers as they're worshiping. They, 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 that, that Christ reigns supremely in verse 17. That he will judge righteously, verse 18. And that he will reward graciously, verse 18. That's who God is. He will never not be that. And that's who he will be when the earth is going through the worst judgment from God that will ever be played out. The nations, the Christ reject, re rejecting, are angry. That's what it's talking about. When his wrath comes, the nations, the Christ rejecting on the planet, are going to be angry. They'll show their hatred for Christ and his people. And persecution will increase against and the opposition will increase it's the idea that's the picture here and then you go well what are the nations so hot about they're upset because the world they live in and the world they worship is being judged everything they live for is going to be radically disrupted altered everything they put their faith in, build their life upon, is going to be judged, messed up by God. And they're going to be hot. They're just going to be upset. Why are the Christ rejecting so upset when you just give your view, your biblical view of marriage? Why are they so upset when you give your biblical view of truth? That God made us in his image, in his likeness. And we were mated both mated. Yes, we were mated, but we were made. 
to mate. <laughs> one man, one woman. Ah, oh, there we go. We covered that one, right, Roa? Yeah. We are made male and female. To stand on that principle, to stand with conviction today, you're not just disagreed with, you're hated, you're labeled. Amen? So in the end times, birth pangs, these things will intensify. You don't think God's like about had it right now? He's not, listen, that's the judgment of God. That's part of his character. It's part of who he is. He's a righteous judge. But he's judging to restore. And everyone that will just recognize him, the God of love, the God of grace, and the God of mercy, he'll forgive. He'll forgive. And he'll restore. I listen to some of these people talk about politicians that are anti-God and anti-marriage. And they talk about movements that are the pro-choice movement and all of that. And I agree. It's all wrong. It's all ungodly. But these people aren't our enemies. They are victims of the enemy like we used to be. Amen? God loves them and wants to get their attention. And that's part of why he escalates his judgments to wake them up. How many of you remember that, that when you were younger sometimes, you're, you're, I can remember my dad. I'll use myself as an example. I don't know if you were disciplined or not. But I was. And it probably needed to be so a bit more. But there were times when my dad, when he's like, well, your mom, you know, took care of you today, but she gave me the whole, like, when your father gets home. So what she did didn't work. Come here, Lance. Oh, no. It's going to get worse. And they would continue that teamwork on me and my brother until we got the message. That's love. That's love. When I see children today that aren't disciplined, they're not recognizing the love that God designed for them through discipline. When I see Christians today, huh, Christians today that don't understand the nature of God, oftentimes like, how could a loving God, Christians saying that? No, this is a loving thing to wake up the world. Amen? It's a loving thing. Turn your Bibles over to Psalm chapter 2. I... I as an exercise, I went through this, <clears throat> and it is a psalm, <clears throat> excuse me, that's, that's talking about this period, talking about the Messiah's coming back and his triumph over the nations and his establishing his kingdom on earth. <clears throat> so here's the word, same word, nations. Why do the nations... Hebrew, heathen, Christ-rejecting, God-rejecting, rage. Talking about the same time period that John is picturing in this vision, tribulation period, towards the end, second coming of Christ, all of that pictured here. Why do they rage? And the people plot a vain thing. We see the rage again of the non-believing against the, the, the godly in, in God's plans. And it's going to get worse, is the idea. And the people, people that oppose God, they plot a vain thing. We see people plotting things today to undermine truth, to undermine God, what he intended us to be on planet Earth. We might look at the, the agenda of the LGBTQ 
Q, and there's probably other letters going to be tied to that in the near future. But it's a mouthful, isn't it? It's, it's these, these letters are representing communities of people who are opposing God. The LGBTQ community is opposing God. Hopefully when you hear that term, you don't get critical. Hopefully your heart breaks. Your, your heart just absolutely breaks for them. You'd want them to know Jesus. You'd want them, that's the heart of God, amen? But they plot a vain thing. That's God's view. Oh, they think it will forever be. And sometimes Christians act as if that's the new norm. It's just going to be that way. No, no. It's a vain thing. In other words, what they're intended to do ultimately won't be done. God's going to have the final word. We might be in the midst of, it, of, of their growing momentum right now, but God is going to have the final word. We might be living in a state right now that's pr promoting all of this stuff, and we're like, oh, my goodness, everywhere I turn, in the workplace, in my family, we're, it just seems like this is the end, that this is what it's going to be like. No, no, no. God will get the final word. They're plotting a vain thing. Woke is a vain thing. Woke is a joke. I always waited to say that, and I've said it twice now. It's such a cool thing. But the pro-choice people, it's a vain thing. Ultimately, futile is the idea. Against God? You've got to be kidding me. Against his law? You've got to be kidding me. Oppose his plan? You've got to be kidding me. The idea here, speaking about the end times, it's going to get worse. They're going to intensify, ratchet up, whatever you want to say. The kings of the earth set themselves, the, the kings of the earth set themselves, in verse 2, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, in, so it's a, it's a picture of the world leaders uniting together and opposing God. I don't even need to build that in your mind's eye right now. That, that's happening right before us right now. It's gaining momentum. It's growing in, in intensity towards that. So let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. That's the word there is the T is capitalized. It's, it's, it's an idea of how the world, the leaders, are looking at anyone that doesn't fall in line with them. The, 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 the Christ-rejecting leaders on the world, it's a view of like how they're looking at the world that doesn't fall in line. And what they're saying is, what God wants us to know is, look, at they want freedom from his rule. They cast away their courts. They cast away God's decrees, God's standards, God's ways, God's word. God's mission. They cast away God's view on life, on gender, on marriage, on morality, on truth, right and wrong. They want to remove God from society, the world leaders that are uniting. And have you noticed since 2020 how well the world falls in line with the world leaders, by the way? Stay home. Do I need to go down the list? Globally, united, in order, and people fall in line. 
It's that is going to grow in intensity. Well, thank God the chapter doesn't end there. He who sits in heaven shall laugh. I'm going to read that again like you're on his team. I want you to react like you're on the right team. He who sits in leaven, leaven, in heaven. He who sits in leaven will half. Um, that's dyslexia, okay? Thanks, Dad. It's getting hot. He, God, who is God, who's outside of this time continuum, he's eternal, who created it all, who's going to set it all straight, looks at everyone who opposes him, he goes, <laughs> what? It's kind of like a judge who is in his court. Justifiably so, he's the judge. And they're bringing in the condemned, the, the condemned criminal. And the condemned criminal is carrying himself all cocky and, ah, there's, there's nothing that's ever going to happen to me. And the judge would just look at him and just kind of laugh with, you've got to be kidding, you have no idea what I'm about to read. You have no idea about what I'm about to do. That's the picture here. Before he, he reads out his sentencing and then implements his sentencing. So the Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. It's going to happen. Verse 6, yet I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. This psalm is talking about what John sees in Revelation chapter 11. Before it happens in chapter 19, the psalmist and John are seeing the same thing. The return of Jesus Christ, conquering sin, conquering all of those that oppose him, and establishing his kingdom on earth. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to my, my Lord, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. What is that talking about? That's talking about the mission, the Father's mission for the Son. When did Jesus conquer all of this. You say, well, when he comes back, he's going to conquer. No, no, no. He's already qualified to be that conquering king. When did he qualify? On the cross. The resurrection. The cross legitimizes Jesus' right to save. The cross legitimizes Jesus' right to rule. And one day on the holy hill of Zion, Jerusalem. Ask me in verse 8, and I will give you the inhabitants or the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. So because of his victory over sin and death, Jesus is given an inheritance. What's the inheritance? The nations of the world. What Satan offered him in the wilderness and Jesus rejected from Satan, one day the Father will give him. 
And he will be right to receive it because of his victory on the cross. And he will receive it, all the nations of the world, to the ends of the earth for your possession. Again, speaking of the second coming, when he comes back to set up his kingdom. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Again, a picture of the judgment that will come upon the earth when Jesus comes to rule and to reign. The earthly powers, their rule and authority will be completely crushed. Don't you love it when, you know, we just recently heard one of these AB laws was, was vetoed. And you're like, praise God, one law. Right? Praise God. We're like, man, one victory in one part of California is worthy of praising God for. On that day, we're going to be praising God for global dominance. He will win. Amen? That's the idea. So verse 10 and 12, Now therefore be wise, O kings. Another warning. Be instructed. No, no, no. God has pinned this down, you judges of the earth. What happens if you are wise? When we hear the word wise, it's not the accumulation of knowledge, it's the proper use of knowledge. So, what God says, you better know it, be instructed by it, and the wise person will fall in line with God. They will serve the Lord with fear. The beginning of wisdom is just that. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's what we read about in Proverbs, the beginning. And then rejoice with trembling. And kiss the sun. What does that mean? Pay homage to Jesus now. Because you're going to recognize him as king that saved you. Or you'll recognize him as king who judged you. There's no, there's no third place. There's no third lane. That's just the way it is. And then kiss the sun lest he be angry. And you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Another great scripture. My clock is ticking down. Note takers, write this down. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. Daniel is prophesying about this very time period, tribulation period, and the very same thing. I got to get through this. 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And there were lightnings and noises and thunderings and an earthquake and great hail. So, you know, this chapter begins with John measuring the earthly temple and then it ends or closes with a temple in heaven. And we'll get to that as we get into the latter chapters. But the temple of God was opened in heaven. John is seeing a vision of heaven, the temple there. Specifically, the focal point would be the most holy place. As we, we, we look at the, 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 the temple of God on earth and we're, we're like, oh great, it's, whether it's the, the first temple built by Solomon, second by Zerubbabel, or even the third temple that will be built, I believe, with the assistance of the Antichrist, but by the Jews for sure. 
But we look at that temple, and the most significant thing about that temple is this 15 by 15 by 15 area called the Holy of Holies, because that's where the presence of God dwells. And there, there is the ark, the ark of the covenant. But here, the heavenly one, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing, a little bit of play on the words, but it's like the, the ark of his covenant. And the focal point is on his, him, Jesus. The book of Hebrews explains that the earthly sanctuary was a, was a type or a shadow of the heavenly sanctuary. Hebrews 8, 1 through 12, or 1 through 2. Now this is the main point of the things that we're saying. We have such a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. And so every aspect of the tabernacle, the future temple, points to Jesus. That's why John's calling it like the ark of his covenant. We don't know where the Ark of the Covenant is today. There's people who claim that they know where it is and whatnot, but that, that's not the point. But within the Ark, there was a couple of things. There was the, the, the law, the two tablets. Jesus, it's a picture of him. He's the embodiment of the law. Because he is the embodiment of the law, listen, the one that's coming back to establish his kingdom, he has full authority to judge according to the law. And the ark also had a mercy seat. It was, it was actually the place that spoke of atonement, what God does regarding our sin. We sin because we're sinners, but we cannot forgive ourselves. Only God can pardon. Only God can make this sin effect, separates us. Only God can make that at one In the Old Testament... It was the blood of an innocent animal on Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, that was brought in by the priest, the high priest, and sprinkled on the mercy seat. And the picture of that is just amazing because the law is an indicator. It shows us that we're wrong. Paul says, I would not have no covetousness unless the law said, don't covet. But every one of us are guilty of the law. If, if, you, if I said, raise your hand, if you don't think you're not guilty of the law, I'm not guilty of the law. You just lied. You're guilty of the law. We're all guilty of the law. And so it was incumbent upon God. It was placed on God to do something about this. We can't save ourselves. We don't have that capacity. That is not our mission. That is not assigned to us. And so it's the blood of the innocent. And, and in, 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 in 1 John, it talks about us, in this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the, the, the propitiation for our sins. And that's a, a big word, but it basically means, propitiation means appeasement. And it's like God looks at the law that we have broke, and he has righteous anger, not at you, but at the result of our sin. It separates us from him. He's like, I hate that. I don't like that. I love you. I want to be at one with you. And so God sent his son to shed his blood 
to be that appeasement, to satisfy God's righteous anger. How does he do that? He provides the way of salvation. He provides the way of forgiveness there at the cross. And so we have this beautiful picture at the close of this chapter, like at the end, the heavenly tabernacle. And the focal point is the covenant of his son. We can't miss that. That in the midst of all of this, we have the grace of God. We have those that he will reward as much as we have those that he will judge. How many of you want to be in the, I've received the reward of God category. Amen? I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God. Sorry, I get excited about this stuff because I'm on the right team. And I want others to be on the right team. Let me close this down. Lessons from chapter 11, third week. God's plan for the end of the age is coming to pass. The stage is being said, God will do what he said he will do. There will be a third temple built. We, three weeks ago, whatever it was, get, look at that study if you weren't here. We showed all of the efforts going into that third temple right now. It tells us we're close. God will raise up two witnesses. He will give them power and an assignment to witness and do the supernatural during the tribulation period for three and a half years. The Antichrist, as he says, will rise to power. The Antichrist will take their lives. He will breathe. God will breathe life back into them. God will do what he says he will do. He will whisk them to heaven. <laughs> right before the whole world, as the whole world is watching. He will make sure that, the, that, that, that it will be at a time and an era where technology can, can get that out, broadcast that out live to the whole world. We're there. The Antichrist will rise to power during the tribulation period. He will help Israel restore daily sacrifices in that temple. And Jesus Christ will return and set up his kingdom on earth where he will rule and reign for a thousand years. God will pour out his wrath upon the Christ rejecting through the trib. And at that time, all God has to do is kindle his wrath, but a little, and sinners are going to perish. God will be merciful and gracious in the end times during the tribulation when his son returns, blessing those who put their trust in him. Verse 12. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world. Always remember, God is never without a witness. During the trib, witness after witness after witness. Many are going to get saved when the world was is at its worst. God looks at the Christ rejecting and says, I love you. God looks at those who oppose his son and he says, I'm sending my son to die for you. He looks at those who persecute the church, defame his word, defile his institution of marriage, abort lives. And he says, I want to forgive you. I want to save you. I want to have a right relationship with you. And God sees us as we are. Here online, he sees us as we are. As we are, he says, I love you. As we are, he says, I want to forgive you. 
as we are. The omnipotent God, powerful enough to do anything, can save you this morning if you're not saved. If you're a prodigal, he is the God that still loves. He's right where you left him. To the Christ-rejecting world that we woke up to, God continues to be gracious and merciful and extend his love. He is long-suffering towards us, as Peter says in 2 Peter 3, not willing that any would perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus will reign. His witness will go out. The gospel will be proclaimed. I was reading through John chapter 8 this morning. Jesus had just, let's all stand. That helps me close. Jesus was in the temple area, close to the treasurer, treasury. The religious leaders are trying to trap him. They bring an immoral woman, throw her in front of Jesus. We caught her right in the very act of adultery. We brought her here. I'd just like to be part of that church. But Jesus is like, well, uh, you who are without sin, pick up the first stone. Silence, crickets. He stoops down, he writes in the ground with his hand. We're not sure exactly what he wrote. That's going to be one of those long lines in heaven. You know, I've got to find out what that was about. And from the oldest to the youngest, they started walking away. I could just hear the stones dropping. Click, 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 click. And he, he's in that same vicinity, and he, he just continues to talk to the religious leaders. And it's like they're not connecting the dots. And they're challenging him and opposing him. And, 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 and finally, he's like, hey, guys, you know, I'm going away. I'm going to be going away, and, um, and, and you're going to die in your sins. He called them out, man. He called them out. And he said to them, you guys are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. That's why I said to you, you'll die in your sins. Listen, for unless you believe that I am. Who I say I am is the idea. He's God. He's the Messiah. You will die in your sins. And that is a message that is consistent throughout the entirety of God's word. The warning, the grace, and the judgment. And the free will of man, the capacity to make a choice. It's, 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 it's presented. The plan of redemption is for mankind in that sense, as far as saving from sins. It's not for animals. I know we want to know our dogs are in heaven, but it's not for our, it's not for Koa. It's for Lance and Lori. We are made in the image and likeness of God. We have a free will. Salvation is offered to us. Not the trees, not the mountains, not the fish, not to your parrot. Salvation is offered to you. 
And he's given us a free will, the capacity to choose, to know him, to have a personal relationship with God. Last night, my dog was acting like he was demon-possessed. I wish he could be saved. I wish he could be like made new. I wish he could be made a new creation. Old things have passed away, Koa. All things need to become new. Ain't going to happen. He responds to a shock collar. It's the only change in that boy. Or a spray bottle. A lab loves water, hates the spray bottle. I don't get it. We have that offer from God. We, mankind. It's clear in his word. And I pray that you appreciate that, you recognize that, and that you've received the free gift of Jesus. Let's pray. So, Lord, thank you so much for, man, it's been an amazing weekend with just honoring you yesterday through the life of Tony and, and just hearing the gospel from her family and this morning, just the, the good news. That's what gospel is. It's the good news of you're loving us and you're gracing us and being merciful towards us and, and wanting down through the ages atonement for us. It's the good news of people who have put their faith in you and they are redeemed. It's the good news of where we are with you right now in this amazing relationship. It's the good news of where we're going when this life ends. It's the good news of, of being in heaven with you. It's the good news of coming back with you as your bride. It's the good news of ruling and reigning with you for a thousand years. It's the good news of the creation of a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness will dwell. We who live in a land of unrighteousness go, thank you, Jesus, for that good news. It's coming. It's in motion. And I just pray, Lord, that anyone here or online that has never put their faith and trust in you, that right now they would do that. If that's you, just say that to Jesus. Say, I confess to you right now, I'm not saved. I've never received you into my life. Just tell him that right now. And agree with him. That's what confession is, that, that you are a sinner. Tell him that. You realize this morning that your sin has separated you from, from him. But tell Jesus, I believe that you're God. I believe you, you are the, the Savior of the world that died on the cross and rose from the dead for me. And ask him, Jesus, to come into your life right now. Lord, we pray that anyone who has prayed that prayer, anyone who has surrendered to you this morning, that they would um, approach others in this room, leaders in this room, our church, or wherever they're at. They would find a Bible teaching church online if they're not attending one. That, that they would have someone brought into their life. They would find them that would help them understand you, walk with you, understand your word, and live out your word. You're a good God. Thank you for being so patient with us yet another day. Thank you for mercying us yet another day. Thank you for using us yet another day until you come back and fulfill Psalm 2, Revelation chapter 11. May we be looking up. May we be busy doing our Father's business. And may many come to know you because we were loving enough and caring enough to share you with them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.